Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. I want to thank Ben Moss for preaching last week. Did a great job. Awesome preacher. And uh, so just a couple announcements, kind of things here before we get started. One is, uh, and also welcome if you're worshiping or watching later online, we're glad you're here. Yes. And uh, but um, so tomorrow for the next three days, we're doing prayer and fasting. And uh, so this is something we've been doing for decades now as a church. And uh, we just take, it just helps to build in a little bit of discipline corporately together and so uh, this is the one, so we'll have prayer meetings uh, tomorrow at 7 noon and 7 p.m., then Tuesday 7 a.m., noon and 7 p.m., and then Wednesday, Jesus Hour at 7 uh, noon, and then a big blowout worship and prayer for healing night right here in the auditorium. So that's going to be a big reason. I mean, it's the one thing that we kind of calendar totally around. We build our fall and spring schedules around the prayer and fasting times. And it's the only thing where we really say, don't go to life group. Let's cancel our life groups and let's actually come together as the church. And I mean, those are blow. We've got a little extra time to just worship and be in God's presence. And it's delightful. The river will be flowing. So uh, I hope you can do that with us. Aaron was telling me a story, Aaron Wordlaw was telling me a story about when, back when he was at IHOP years ago up in Kansas City, and he said he realized that people weren't just trying to get through three days of prayer and fasting, like there was grace on them to do that. And I feel that way about our times of prayer and fasting. There's grace for this. So it's discipleship. Jump in with us. It will change your life. We're in the middle of 30, 30 challenge as well. 30 minutes in the morning for 30 days. And so I just, there is momentum around here in prayer right now. Just being with the other churches in the city on the square last night uh, on Main Street. Uh, you know, I, I, was wondering how the people sitting on the balcony at Del Frisco's were doing with just Jesus being worshipped just 100 yards away. Um, I'm sure it was delightful. Bring me another cab and praise the Lord or something. I don't know. Just kidding. Um, be, you know, don't, don't judge me. I'm just sorry. I can't believe I just said that. So uh, anyway, so before uh, my ad, got an important message today. Uh, the other thing is, next Sunday is uh, Baptism Sunday. So I've already got a few signed up, but I want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized in water yet, if you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, this is like step one. It's, it's, we're called to follow Jesus as obedient disciples, and baptism's like the starting point. On the first day of the church, 3,000 people were baptized. Philip is witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and whatever was a part of that witnessing time there, the, the, the eunuch goes, well, here's water. Why can't I be baptized right now? And so they went down in the water, and he was baptized right then. And it's a picture of our sins being forgiven, uh, washed away. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, dying to the old life, being raised to the new life in Romans 6. It's the circumcision of our hearts inwardly in Colossians 2. It's being clothed in Christ. It's a, 
It's part of how we experience oneness and unity is that we are clothed together and now there's no more Jew or Gentile separation. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are one people together in Christ and baptism is that initiation point into the full experience of that. And I would say too, I'm preaching baptism, but I I would say too, if you're experiencing addiction or need a breakthrough, you know, I mean, baptism is how we, that's the basis, the, the cross is the basis of our deliverance. The old man dies with Jesus on the cross. We die to our old life. That's the basis for freedom so that we can live the new creation life in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's just the announcements here before we get started. <laughs> Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13, we are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount called Walking Inside the Story. That's, for those of you who are just visiting today, um, that's a, it's, we've been working through this the whole year. The story we find ourselves in, a bunch of testimony messages in the summer about finding ourselves in the story. And man, those were brilliant and just, it was awesome. I, we should always be able to tell our testimony of how we found ourselves, how we came alive to understanding our own life in the story of God. Yes. Just really important. And then here we are talking about ethics in this. How do you live? And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really really important. I was talking with Todd. He's been taking a deep dive on Dallas Willard, and, the, and the, so a lot of us have been influenced by Dallas. He, he went to be with the Lord in 2013, but I mean, his impact is still being felt in the body of Christ, and he said, these are the most important words ever spoken by a human being. Just think about that. You may want to debate that, but he's saying the Sermon on the Mount is the most, are the most important words ever spoken. It's the core of the teaching of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and the King of the world. And uh, so he, he, Dallas even said toward the end of his life, he said, I've stopped teaching other things because I, I've only got so much time left. And I know that this is the most important life transforming time that I can use teaching of all is to teach the Sermon on the Mount. So with that, let's stand up for the reading of the word. Matthew chapter, we're, we're honoring the scriptures, and we're honoring the words of Jesus as we stand. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. Good stuff. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, the visible community, the visible, where you can see it, your salt, your light, that's who you are, that's what your identity is, that's who we are, we're a community of people together, that like Jesus was speaking these words to a people that were longing to come out of exile, that were longing to see the Messiah, the true King and Lord of the world. 
And so they were, they, they were a people. It's not just about individuals. And, it's, and, and I have to say this again, because I know we've got just people that are newer, but, but it's, it's like, this is not a sermon about how you go to heaven when you die. That's just not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the reign of God coming to earth right now, that the kingdom is here. Now, it's not here in fullness, but the kingdom is here, and this is what it's going to look like for the kingdom to be expressed through the people of God. Now, I went into this series, and I, I really felt like we were in a prayer meeting uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I felt like the Lord said, be a father. And what I understood from, that, from the Lord speaking that to me was, be a father. Encourage people not to be exasperated and just go, ah, oh, we can't do this. And, you know, like, like, don't, you know, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Like, that's a good word, you know. And so as we're approaching this, don't just go, like, there's hope. Like, there really is hope for all of us doing this in the power of the Spirit, with our identity in Christ, included in the Father's love. There really is hope for us. Praise God. So that's part of it. And the other part is to, uh, to be humble. Just to encourage, I'm going to just do this week after week, just be humble. Be, be a learner. Let's just, all be, let's just all act like we don't have this already figured out. Because, men, we don't. You know, and if you, the more you do this, the more you'll go, okay, well, I, I don't have this together and I need to repent and, get, and just keep turning. But if you'll keep choosing the Lord with your, like we talked about earlier, take your little flimsy faith and connect it to the infinite faithfulness of God. You know, it's the same word in New Testament Greek terminology, pistis. It's the same, it's the same exact word is faith and faithfulness. And so we put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus this morning. We're looking to him and he, he's done it. So what is it about the Sermon on the Mount that we just struggle with so much? And we could just go around here and get some quick answers, right? It's hard. It, it seems impossible. It seems not practical. And I'll just throw out, it's actually super duper fragilistic it's super duper it's super I need some more words it's really really practical like so that us saying it's not practical is a lie we're, when we say that we're believing a lie because it's so practical people that's what people don't want to do I don't want to let go of my anger I don't want to let go of my Lust. I don't want to let go of my right to kind of, kind of move left and right on my integrity and just let my yes be yes and my no, no. I, I don't want to let go of my right to retaliate, turn the other cheek. You know, I don't want to let go of my right to stay immature in my love for others. You know, loving enemies, you guys, and we'll talk about it in a couple weeks, but but loving enemies is a mature, that's where, that's where life in God goes, is toward maturity. And, and so God doesn't want us just staying immature and loving the people that we like. He wants us to grow up in our love, to mature, to, 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 to grow up and to be 
into the image of God. So we, all these different things. We don't want to give up uh, different allegiances that we have or the, uh, these, different, these different things, uh, the broad way maybe even, instead of the narrow way. And uh, we don't want to give up the freedom to build life on the sand. I know that's, I'm just, I'm saying it kind of that way. So we'll go, well, he's saying, build your life on my words. Build your life on my words. And so historically, I mean, really, the Sermon on the Mount has been marginalized historically. And I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but, but it's, it kind of started around Constantine. And so for about five, a thousand years from around four or five hundred up to the 1500s in the, in the Reformation, and even in the Reformation still, I mean, Martin Luther still did a two-tiered system related to the Sermon on the Mount. So, and, and what that tells me is like Martin Luther did some great stuff, but we're all a mixture. And so taking the Sermon on the Mount and going, well, it's for monks, it's for monks and like people that can really, it's not for the normal person and it's not for political leaders. And that's how you kind of get out of, you know, being able to kill each other and stuff. Isn't that crazy? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, so, so uh, Jim, I, I think you, some of you guys may remember this, but Jim Reynolds, hey Jim, um, is uh, sent a text to me because I had said something in our sermon planning time like, like uh, I had said, man, it's just so hard, you know, and I said it. And so I get this text back from Jim and he kindly said, he, he said, I don't, I don't think that's it. He said, I think, I, I, it's not hard, I disagree. He said, I think it's strange. That's what the text said. I think it's strange. It's unlike us. For example, my sin makes working through a conflict with a sister or brother very burdensome, unnecessary. So I avoid messy, strange practice. Such a messy, strange practice. I do the kingdom practices I feel comfortable with among a community of Christians who do not hold me accountable for embodying the strangeness of Jesus. So I do what normal people do. I separate. My heart, my desiring life, often disconnects high Christology, a high view of Jesus and what he's done for us from incarnational discipleship practices in our own lives. And don't you all wish you had a friend that would send you a text like that? <laughs> amen. I responded like, yes, amen. I want it. Lord, help my, help my unbelief, you know. So... Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, what we need, and uh, Graydon's got a little blog going on this stuff, but what we need, do you say redeemed or redemptive. redemptive? We need a redeemed, redemptive imagination. We need our imagination. We need to get a hold, God needs to get a hold of our imagination so we can get beyond where we've been and into a new place of envisioning life, doing, living, breathing doing this kind of relational love that the sermon talks about. And we need to ask, what if? You know, what if we did this? What if we treated people like this? What if we lived this way with our brothers and sisters, our families, in our immediate nuclear family, you know, in our families where we're tight or not tight with relationships? But what if we did this? Man, what if? And what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks are what uh, 
Glenn Stassen calls transforming initiatives that are presented in the Sermon on the Mount. So you've heard it said, you know, do not murder. And then you get into this cycle of like just angry, not forgiving and all this kind of stuff. And the transforming initiative is, but I say to you, do not be angry with your brother. That's how we transform out of this loop that we all know about the loop, the addictive cycle or whatever it is. But I say to you, and Jesus is going to over and over again, give us help on relational heart, inside out language and, and, and purpose for who we really are as God's people in the kingdom. And so uh, we'll be looking at, at all those things during the next several weeks. And uh, here's the main thing I'm trying to say this morning is that God wants us to grow up in the DNA of God's kingdom family and shine before others to glorify our Father. So, and I really think, so I've got some, uh, some ideas here that I think are going to help us. And I, I, rather than just have us just, okay, we're going to read it and try to understand it, I want us to come back to everything that we've been saying. We're building upon what we've been saying this whole year, okay? And that is we are looking through the lens of Jesus. is how do you read the Sermon on the Mount? And then how do you live the Sermon? How do we read it? How do we live it? And so point number one, point number one um, is that we start with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're like, you wait, the Sermon on the Mount? You start with the, res you start with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't unknow the resurrection of Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So Matthew's writing with that knowledge. Everybody that's reading Matthew's gospel, they know that, you know, and it is the thing. It's the cataclysmic, life-changing, universe-shaping event that changes everything. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he's raised from the dead and they see him, and then he's explaining the scriptures and the story to them through the lens of who he is, man, everything changes. And the, and the apostles, apostles are running to the scriptures, to see Jesus and to see and understand the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And so when I say the resurrection, I am saying all of the rule of faith stuff. I'm not just saying the resurrection, I'm saying the rule of faith. And so early on, the church figured out Irenaeus, Justin, uh, uh, Athanasius, Augustine, uh, all of these church fathers figured out that there was just some basic core stuff that makes up the true story uh, that we need about Jesus. And so when I say Jesus and the resurrection, I'm in that moment setting off all those other things. The incarnation, that Jesus is born of a woman, God in the flesh, that he assumes our humanity. Now just think about it. He assumes, and all the powerful depth of revelation that goes that God became flesh, that he stepped into our reality, into our darkness, so that he could pull us out of the bushes of our hiding and that, that deep sense of separation that we all feel from God, that it is our fallenness, right? So I'm saying incarnation. I'm saying the sanctified life offered to God on our behalf. He is the great mediator representing God to us and us to God. So when we say the resurrection, we're saying that. When we're, even before we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we know that's who he is. 
We know that's what he's done and that he took, uh, he, he, he died on the cross for us. He took our place. He came and became one of us on behalf of us. And he died our death and went to the, went to the grave for us. His blood was shed for our forgiveness and his body was crucified as, as the as the last Adam, he died Adam's death so that he could be raised a new Adam, a new creation, resurrection life, breaking into planet Earth for the first time. Man, this is good news. And all of that, just uh, we've got to see that before we read. Because it has so much to do with our identity. We've been included in him. We've been included in the Father's love, included in Christ, marked with the Holy Spirit. And then he's ascended to the right hand of the Father where he has all authority in heaven and on earth and he pours out his spirit to make all of this real to us. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's coming again to bring heaven to earth. He's coming again to make all things right so that God will be our God and we will be his people. So when I say read through the lens of Jesus, I'm saying All of that. Does that make sense? And we can't, I can't, we can't unknow that. So we don't stand before the Sermon on the Mount going, oh, this is some big legalistic ladder I've got to climb to then save myself. Can you hear that? I mean, that that's it. It's just like he's done that. We I couldn't do that, you couldn't do that, we couldn't do that. There's something that happened two thousand years ago. That is what God's done on our behalf. Now we participate in that. We we want to grow more and more in that. We want to have faith that comes alive to go, yes, Lord, I want to be a participant. I want to walk in union with you and in this life. And so what I'm saying here is we have to read the sermon. We have to read the scriptures like a memoir, kind of a look back, a retrospective look rather than and then you look forward like you know what jesus did and it changes everything it's like a christopher nolan movie something happens in about three quarters of the way and you're like whoa and you want to go back and then re-understand the whole thing that's what's going on in the resurrection it changes everything right the way we understand it versus a quest a quest would be a story where, like Lord of the Rings or something, you've got some guys and they're going to go on this adventure, but you kind of know and we kind of presuppose what the answers are in that kind of a story. But we don't in the story of Jesus. And if you read the story, the Sermon on the Mount, as if you're disconnected, it's going to lead to some crazy, crazy ideas. And it will leave you throwing up your hands. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to emphasize the truth. There's not a greater truth than Jesus. There's not a greater philosophical idea that you can question. It all has to flow through Jesus. Like God has revealed truth in the flesh, and so we don't have philosophical ideas that are greater than the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Like it flows from Him. We don't stand back and question Him He'll, he'll, he'll come back with a question for us. We can't, that's why we need a mediator. When we, you know, he's the one that can handle the questions. This is deep for kind of thinking about it. But, but it's true. That's why Jesus, they said, well, where did you get this authority? I'll ask you a question. You got to be ready to be questioned. 
Yeah, so, so he is the truth. That's all I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say. I'm getting off on a tangent. But he, he is the truth. That's not a tangent. <laughs> Jesus is the truth. So that's the first thing. We, how do we read the sermon? We start with the resurrection of Jesus. The second thing, it's kind of a how we read still, how we live too. But we are a kingdom family. Like this is the kingdom of God. And we're introduced to something in this passage here. Um, uh, ben introduced it last week, but it's here again in that last verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your father. Not like he might be your father, but glorify your father. In verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. So there's a family thing here happening. It's the kingdom but it's also a kingdom family. And we're to live in a way that brings glory to the Father. And so Jesus is introducing something here in the Sermon on the Mount that is a revelation about who God is, that he's our Father. Like, so he uses Father and talks about God being our Father more in the Sermon on the Mount about God than it's used in the Old Testament. So there's a mystery about God that we don't understand that is revealed, it's only revealed in the, in the sending of the Son, in the sending of the Spirit, in the revelation of God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. These, these uh, imperatives of the Sermon on the Mount, then, they come under the indicatives of who we are, of, who, of what God has done. God wants us to do these things, but they come under the, the revelation of who God is. Yeah. Of, of what God has done in us and through us, what he's done on our behalf that we could never do. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's huge. It's about knowing our identity. What we do comes under who we are in the Lord. We read, we're chosen by the Father, included in the Son, and marked by the Spirit. Now, what if we knew that we were chosen by the Father? What if everybody in this room, what if we knew and what if we spread that knowledge everywhere that we're chosen by the Father? And this is not like a maybe. This is not, I'm not out on a shaky limb here. This is out of the eternal overflowing love of God from all eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chosen to be holy in Him before the creation of the world. Chosen to be adopted into His family. It's beautiful. Um, Kim, this past Monday, we, we just were... Uh, she was listening to a, a devotional uh, little app called Lectio 365 and some of you guys listened to that one and uh, they were talking about blessed are the peacemakers for they will be children of God and they mentioned this idea about DNA DNA so that's our it's our DNA it's in our DNA to be peacemakers how about that it's like in our family the the DNA chain. You can do that a lot fancier than what I just did it, but that's, you get the idea. So, um, and, she, and she just starts talking to me. She goes, yeah, you know, Jamie, we don't, we don't choose the shape of our nose. We don't choose the way our ears look. She's an audiologist. She notices stuff like that all the time. I don't. Um, but we don't choose that. And I thought, man, that is a great point for this. For this, for this, the sermon is that this is a DNA thing. Yeah. 
Like this, like this should help us to go, well, I'm not there right now. I'm not fully grown up yet. Right. No one is. But this is in our DNA. Wow. It's in our DNA to look like people that do relationships like this. To, to do relationships that are other-centered, going low, making wrong things right when we get crossed in different ways, all the, letting our yes be yes and our no, no, not retaliating. All those things are there. It's a part of our DNA. And it's strange, getting back to Jim's word, it's strange because we haven't grown up yet. We're, we're not all the way grown up yet. It's strange to us sometimes to think that way. Or it's strange because the kingdom is now, but it's not fully arrived yet. It's not fully consummated. It will be when he comes again. And, but here's the thing. It's not impossible because it's our DNA. It's not impossible because that's our family. It's not impossible because we've been born again into his life. It's this new creation life. We are sons and daughters by virtue of creation. And we are sons and daughters by virtue of election, the election of Abraham and Israel and through Jesus, a new covenant that we've been brought into and, and given new life and called sons and daughters, you know, and we're called to participate in that, what he's done for, to let our faith come alive, our little faith, but touch his incredible faithfulness. So it's strange. The strange thing is to see and when we realize we think we're cut off from God. As if you could be walking around somehow cut off from God. Now think about that. Like he's the one holding all things together by the word of his power. So there's a part of this, it's like, Lord, we're here this morning because you're holding us together. You've got us. And if we read the gospels like we're not, like we're disconnected from God, then it's going to always lead to some kind of wonky thinking about this, or I can't do it, or all I feel is condemnation, and I'm no good, I'm a worm, and I'm in the bushes, and that's where I'm going to stay, covered in shame. Right? And so God's got, he's just got so much, the, the good news I've been preaching to you is so much better than you trying to find your way out of the bushes. Jesus actually came into your darkness to bring you out to include you in his life and to let you, let me include us so that we can participate in the shared love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, yeah, um, I, was, I was on the phone with Yancey the other day and, and, and we were talking about this and, and uh, he said, you know, it's like what we want to do is catch ourselves in the act of thinking that we're separated from God. So, like, up oh, there it is again. No, I'm, I'm included in your love. I'm included in Christ. I'm in Christ. Every time you see in Christ, with Christ, all those kinds of, that's about our participation, our union. And so we want to, even as we're, this is why I'm spending so much time on talking about reading, how we read the Sermon on the Mount, so that we won't read it from a legalistic if I get it right, I can get God to do what he's supposed to do. Whereas God's done it, and now we want to order our lives in radical trust and obedience to him. 
and we can we actually can talk about obedience we actually can talk about living a life of faith that's 24 7 nobody does it perfect but we can talk about being all in with God because of what God has done for us um you know I the uh one of the things I I'm thinking about on this is that hospitality I'll just bring up as a as an idea here hospitality it's like the father's going come on into my house come on home this is what it's going to look like for us to come into the father's house to to live out a mature expression of the kingdom family it looks like all of this I mean it's great it's relational it's the treasure's not here it's it's prayer it's it's giving it's not judging it's it's loving and all of that. So it's a big deal. Come home to the Father and not a ladder of, of, uh, of, of, uh, that's about heaven and hell salvation at the end of life in a dualistic framework that's kind of platonic where everything in the Bible is about a spiritual disembodied existence um, rather than Jesus is wanting to do this in us, in Antioch, Fort Worth, and in the world, right here and right now. That, it's like, whoa, okay, wow. Um, and we, we mess up. Just anybody that knows you mess up, just slip your hand about shoulder high. It's a lot of you guys. And uh, we're in this together. You know, and so, yeah, we, if we read this like this and say, Lord, I'm not there, but Lord, I want to be. I want to grow up. I want to grow into maturity. I want to grow into the family. I want to grow into the, to have this, all these DNA marks that are in me by your life. I want them expressed into a fully mature person that is in the stature and image of Christ. Um, so, uh, so all the salt, now I'm at the salt and light. So the salt light expression then is us doing it. It's us living out the Beatitudes. It's us expressing these things. And it's not coincidental, I think, that the kind of the last Beatitude is about persecution. Because if we're going to live this out relationally, there will be hard stuff that will come against us from our families and from different people i mean the hardest you know a lot of the there's physical persecution but a lot of the persecution is from families around the world you know seriously it's it's family persecution because it's the people that are closest to the people that are making radical decisions to follow jesus and that's where the rub is it's with the people that are closest to us and sometimes it's with governments and things but but it's a lot of times it's with the people that are the closest to us so the third thing i'm saying here this morning is we are salt and we are light. Um, and that is, you guys, that's, he's not saying, I hope you'll become, and you need to be this one day. You need to be salt and light one day. He's saying, you are salt. That is your identity. That's a part of who you are in the family of God. You are salt. And you are light. And so it's like, sometimes I think we fear, maybe, that if we do this, it's going to lead to, uh, you know, rejection. It's going to lead to, um, you know, we're going to miss out. We're going to be marginalized. We're going to, you know, but what Jesus is actually saying is the opposite of that. If you don't do this, you will be 
cast out. And again, don't think heaven and hell right now. Just everything I've just said, keep leaning into that. You'll miss out on the purpose for which you were made if you don't live out this salt kind of life that you are. So salt has a kind of double double whammy to it. It's a protection. It's a preservative to stop things from going rotten, right? So in the world, we're called to be salt to stop the total dehumanization of what's going on out there apart from the life of Jesus Christ. That is the fall. That is fallenness and destructive, evil, non-loving, failure to love. That's what sin is. Failure to love stuff. Um, I saw Sandy back there a minute ago. I mean, so Unbound, we just had a lunch this past week and we are just talking about what Unbound does. And part of it is a salt. It's, a, it's salting to stop the dehumanization the, the slavery, the, 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 the just wrong treatment of one human being to another through trafficking. So there's a salt effect of unbalance. It's a justice. It's a right thing to be doing. But it's also the flavor of who we are. You know, to be doing that and to be living that out. That's what salt does. That's what salt um, looks like. So uh, light, you know, we're to be uh, not hidden. So in the same way that salt uh, preserves and, and then gives flavor, so light is, it just, it impinges, it, 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 it attacks darkness. It doesn't allow darkness to even exist. You put one lamp going in a room, it's going to change the, the feel of the room, right? That's what's going on with, with light. And Jesus is showing us, this is how we live this out. It's all of these different things flowing out of the life of God together. It's hospitality and love and forgiveness and integrity and non-retaliation. One of the best examples, and I'm, I'm going to use, use this, <clears throat> going through puberty, um, <laughs> going to use this example again. I think, you know, Graydon might use it at some point too, but there's a guy named Clarence Jordan. How many of you guys have heard of Clarence Jordan? Okay, that's good. You know, tell the story about Clarence Jordan. So Clarence Jordan was a guy that lived a long time ago, died in the 60s, and, um, but he started this deal. He was a, he was a farmer, had a, a bachelor's degree in farming. He had a, a doctorate, a PhD in New Testament Greek, and he wrote a translation of the Bible called the Cotton Patch Gospel. And it was kind of set in... Uh, you know, in Americas and um, Plains, Georgia. Plains, that's going to cue you into something that might happen later in the story. But, uh, and, and uh, Atlanta was Jerusalem. <laughs> in just kind of in figuratively. Uh, but tracking. So he started this deal in 1942 called Koinonia Farms. And it was a radical kind of experiment between, uh, he brought in black and white farmers to form a cooperative together and to uh, just be community, to be the church, um, and uh, to, to live out life together. And this was 10 years before Brown versus Board of Education on the segregation uh, thing. And then it was 20 years before the civil rights movement really got flowing really good. So just think about that. You got 1942 Georgia, black and white people 
living together as an expression of koinonia, fellowship and sharing the Lord's life, expressing that. That's salt. That's light. And, and it really affected a lot of people around there. There was a church down there that completely disfellowshipped them because they were doing this. And we can't have fellowship with you. Um, they were shot at. They were bombed. They had burning crosses put in their, in the, on the property. And it was, it was a, there was persecution, right? There was persecution because they were being salt and light together. Um, and some of the impact of that, just that one experiment went on. To, it, it's still, still going, but it, it birthed. A, a number of different worldwide ministries, one of them being Habitat for Humanity, um, all came out of Koinonia Farms. And then, of course, Jimmy Carter, who grew up in Plains, was really impacted by Clarence Jordan and the vision of Koinonia Farms. That, that might change a little bit of your perspective. I don't know what side of the aisle you're on on the politics, and we don't really talk about that here, but, but just appreciating a brother who really was impacted through the salt and light of Koinonia Farms. And the, the salt, he just turned, Kim is a fan, uh, he just turned 98. Um, that was always, that was a missed bucket list thing for us to go sit in one of his Bible classes at the, at the Baptist church there in Plains. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to give you it like, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Uh, this is what it can look like. And living as salt and light means living in a way that we grow up in the kingdom family and express our DNA as God's kingdom people. And it's going to mean the opposite spirit a lot of times. When somebody's coming at you in anger, you respond in the opposite spirit. When somebody's coming at you with judgment, you respond in the opposite spirit with love. When somebody's coming at you with just... It's just the thing is about salt and light here, it's all the rest of the sermon too. So just read through it. It's, it's all of that. It's, that's who we, it's the Beatitudes. It's us being this kind of people and expressing this together. And here's, I'm going to finish with this. Jesus is trying to show us what the Father looks like. He's trying to show us what it looks like to live in the triune family, the fellowship of God. This shared love from all eternity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's other-centered, self-giving, cross-like looking love. That's, that's what it looks like. Like we, we mature, we go through phases of, you know, you did this to me, I'm going to do this, this to you. Kind of tit for tat. But if we'll, we're on a trajectory of growing up where we're going to love in the way that Jesus loves the way that he loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son, and the shared communion of the Spirit. And it is a beautiful life. It's a good, beautiful life that we're called to live together. Amen? Stand up, if you would. Worship team, come on up. Lord, help us to read your words. Help us to live into the DNA of your family that you've called us to be a part of. Yeah, so um, I want to just, just start here. Uh, if I get the ministry team to come on up as well.
We're going to pray for people right now. And we do this at the end of every service. And, you know, if the front fills up, man, just get somebody to pray for you that's close by. Because this is one of those mornings that's like, there's something here for everybody. Maybe you need to recognize what God's done for you to make you a part of his family and come alive to that. Jesus said at the end of this gospel, all authority is given to me. Now go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here we are this morning doing that. So Lord, help us. If you need to say, I want to start that journey, then come and get prayer with somebody. And let's, let's make that a clear demarcation. You can be baptized next week. We can get started on that journey. And the tendency is, and this is for you, to see yourself as separated. God wants you to get a new paradigm of being included in His love, included in Christ, marked by the Holy Spirit, and walking forward in that DNA. So if you need prayer about that. And here's the last piece. We all want to be salt and light in the spheres that God's given us. At TCU, in education, in medicine, all these different places, in our, in our spheres of life. So, Lord, would you help us to be that salt, to have that flavor, to, to bring that kind of uh, kingdom, Sermon on the Mount perspective to everything that we're doing in life. And so if you need prayer about that, that's, that's always something that we're praying through. So Lord, meet us today in this time of prayer and response in the name of Jesus. Amen. And of course, if you need healing, don't leave without getting somebody to pray for you. If there's something going on in your life that's a, a need right now, get prayer. Let's just, we release prayer right now. We release the power of God and the power of the Spirit to meet needs. Amen. Go for it. Thank you, Lord.